there! How's your writing going? Are you spinning your wheels more than making real progress towards your goals? Are you not quite sure what your writing goals are? If that's you, you're not alone, and you're in the right place. My name is Amy Simon, and this is the Purposeful Pen Podcast, where we uncover how to build a writing life that brings joy to us, glory to God, and benefit to others. Before we get to today's episode with Ariel Curry, I wanted to share a special opportunity with you. As Christian writers, growing a platform can feel overwhelming, icky, and salesy. We struggle with questions such as, how is it godly to promote my work? Isn't that prideful and self-seeking? There's also unending information out there about how exactly to get our words to those who would benefit from them. Where do we start? How do we focus our limited time and energy that we have? Last week in episode 33, I talked with two good friends of mine, Jana Carlson and Kara Ray, about the significant role that mentors can play in our writing lives. We are introducing a unique six-month mentorship program called the Tutu Launch Lab, where Christian writers can be shepherded through the process of launching their online platform in a way that honors God. This Thursday, November 16th, we will be hosting a free webinar to share the framework we'll be using for the Launch Lab. Just by coming to the webinar, you'll learn three steps to launching your platform that you can start putting into practice right away. You'll also hear from the three of us about what the 2-2 Launch Lab will entail. Register for the webinar today by visiting www.mywritersblock.com forward slash launch dash lab. The link will be in the show notes. Welcome to The Purposeful Pen. This week, I have a special guest. I am chatting with Ariel Curry about all things traditional publishing. So Ariel is a ghostwriter, an editor, and a book coach at Ariel Curry Editorial with over 10 years of experience in traditional publishing. So as an editor, she enjoys brainstorming and outlining new book ideas, bringing clarity and purpose to prose, and helping authors find resilience in their writing journey. So when she's not working on books, you can find her doing yoga, playing piano, or reading with a glass of wine. She lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee with her husband, two rescue dogs, a kitten, and a beehive. A beehive. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Welcome, Ariel. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, we that was our, um, our COVID project was we decided to become beekeepers and... It has been a lot of fun. We don't, we still just have one hive. It's a very small operation. We're not like building out an apiary or anything, but um, we do love having fresh honey that we collect ourselves. It's a lot of fun. Oh, that is so cool. An aviary. That's what it's called when you like. Apiary. Yeah. Apiary. Okay. Yes. Yes. When you have like a a farm of beehives, essentially. <laughs> well, there you go. Now I, I learned something that has nothing to do with publishing. Yeah. <laughs> Very fun. Well, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, so let's jump into all the things traditional publishing. So first of all, on a very basic level, let's just define our terms. So if we have a book that we want to get out into the world, we have three options. Yes, traditional mm-hmm. publishing, self-publishing or hybrid publishing. Can you kind of give us a brief um, definition of each one of those? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the best way to think about the differences is to kind of filter it through the lens of who bears the risk and who gets the reward for this product. And I recommend kind of switching your brain a little bit when you're thinking about publishing to your book as a product 
And this is a hard switch sometimes for authors because we all know like our books are our babies. We use that term a lot and, you know, they're very special to us and we feel very close to them. They're, they're a big part of our hearts. And yet when you are making publishing decisions, you kind of have to put this business hat on to make the best, you know, make the best decision for you because it is going to be a big investment of time and energy and money, no matter what you choose. So in terms of risk and reward, traditional publishing says traditional publishers are going to make the biggest financial investment in the project, meaning in the product, meaning they are going to put in all of the resources needed, all of their systems to set it up and sell it and create it are going to be there. They are going to um, give you an advance on your royalties, hopefully, potentially. Um, And then they're going to give you royalties and everything. They have to pay all of their staff and all of their salaries. You know, there's all of that operational overhead that they have to account for. They are making by far the biggest financial investment in the product um, when you decide to work with a traditional publisher. Therefore, they also get to keep most of the reward, right? So the monetary uh, you know, value that comes back from the sales of that book, most of that is going to go to the publisher. So the publisher is going to keep like usually nine, 85 to 90% of the net revenue. Authors are going to get usually about 10% of the net revenue as royalties. And that is after they've paid out their advance. So if an author or if, an, if a publisher gives you an advance on your royalties, then your book has to essentially pay that advance back before you start getting royalties after it's been published. So that's a lot of information, but essentially traditional publishing, they make the biggest financial investment in the product. Therefore, they get most of the reward. Self-publishing... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Biggest risk, biggest reward. Exactly. Self-publishing, the author makes the biggest investment in the product, in the book, meaning you have to pay freelancers to create the cover. You have to pay freelancers to do editing. You have to pay freelancers to, you know, do the interior and do all the setup on Amazon or, you know, however, or you have to do all of that yourself and you have to learn how to do all of that yourself, which is a massive undertaking that I do not recommend for most authors. (laughs) But self-publishing essentially says you are responsible author for that investment in creating the product. But the upside is you get to keep most of the reward, right? So other than paying some Amazon fees, you'll get to keep 80 to 90% of pay from that book. So that's really nice. Um, Hybrid publishing essentially says, well, why do we have to have these two extremes? Can't we meet somewhere in the middle, guys? And so we'll split the initial investment in the book and we'll split the the rewards um, when it publishes. And so with hybrid publishers, the the way that it's supposed to work is authors make an initial investment in usually the range of like ten to twenty thousand dollars or so. Publishers or the hybrid publisher still provides a lot of the same services, let's say, as a lot of the same tasks that traditional publishers do. And then you split the royalties 50-50 or so. You split the profits 50-50 is usually how it works. Now, every pub- every hybrid publisher is going to be a little bit different. And so the terms, the exact terms might differ 
for your book or just might differ by publisher. But essentially, that's kind of how it works is you've got these three business models of how you're splitting the risk and the reward. That's a great way of explaining it. And I think I've heard of some places that I don't know if this is a type of hybrid publisher, but where they they've gathered all the different services that you need, like an editor and a book cover designer and all marketing, all the things, and they have them all in one place and you purchase that, but you don't have to go out and shop for all of those people. Is that still a part of hybrid publishing or is that kind of its own? So that can be, um, but you might also be talking about assisted self-publishers. So basically the, the difference between uh, an assisted self-publisher and a hybrid publisher is that a hybrid publisher still is curating a specialized list. So a hybrid publisher still has an acquisitions editor. You still have to submit a book proposal. Um, there's still there are still some hoops you have to jump through with a hybrid publisher. Um, you still have to make that investment right in in the product. But a hybrid publisher is not a pay-to-play service. Whereas an assisted publisher is basically, if you can pay them the money, they will, they will make a book for you, no matter how good it is. And they don't really care what the content is. A hybrid publisher says, no, we're still here, you know, curating a specialized list. So we do care about the content. We only accept certain kinds of manuscripts from certain kinds of authors, et cetera. Hopefully that makes sense. That does make sense. That does make sense. There's still with hybrid publishing sort of a gate to get through yes. as far as the quality of your content and things like that. Um, but with assisted self-publishing, it's what it sounds like. It's self-publishing. They just yep. kind of help you by being a one-stop shop for all the things that you need to purchase from them, but they don't That's care. Exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Gotcha. Well, thank you. So what are the pros and cons to traditional publishing? Other than the fact that you already mentioned they take on the biggest risk, which is a pro for you, but you get the least reward. What are some other pros and cons to, to choosing traditional publishing? So I think one of the biggest pros is, is actually the gatekeeping, which might sound like a con for some people, but one of the reasons why my co-author Liz and I wanted to pursue traditional publishing is because we wanted kind of the validation. Like we wanted to put our work to the test, essentially. And we wanted to say like, hey, if this is good enough, if we can hold our book up to and our content and our ideas up to essentially the highest bar in publishing, and if we can get through that... Like, what does that say about our content? That says it's pretty good, hopefully. But there's, you know, there's a sense of validity there to traditional publishing that I think it maybe is undervalued for some authors um, and maybe isn't important to others. And that's okay. Um, but for me, I see that as a big pro. The other thing that I think you have is you get to work with a team of incredible professionals in most cases. Obviously, there's always some bad apples in any industry. But from what I have seen in the publishers that I have worked with over the years, by far, they're good book people who are genuinely passionate about the books that they pursue and the authors that they represent. And they really care about reaching readers with the best possible product. And so they're very invested in just the quality of the content. You know, they're there to have an in-depth conversation with you. Um, now, 
there's a whole there, you know, we could talk all day about like what it's really like to work with a traditional publisher. It is a business. So you have to kind of keep that in mind, but all of the people who choose to work in traditional publishing are people who do it because they love books. And so if you want to work with people who love books, you can't really go wrong (laughs) in that way. Um, The other thing is that you get distribution at a level that you will not get it when you self-publish. Hybrid publishers do tend to have pretty comparable distribution to traditional publishers. Um, But traditional publishers are going to be the only way that your book has a chance of getting into um, like brick and mortar bookstores or airports or Costco or anything like that. Like, may may we all have our books in Costco someday? That would be just the dream, right? (laughs) But that's not going to happen if it's self-published at all. Um, And, you know, Costco gets to decide what books they stock. So that's not a, that's not a decision that um, publishers get to make, which is another myth. I think sometimes is that, you know, if I work with a traditional publisher, then my book will guaranteed be in bookstores. And that's not how it works. Bookstores get to make the decisions about what books they stock. But if you want your book to have a chance at being a book in a bookstore, you do need to traditionally publish. Um, So that's another thing is the distribution. And then I would say, the other thing is just the credibility. And um, that's kind of related to my first point about just the the high bar of the content and, you know, the vetting process that you have to go through. But, you know, and I, I think this is lowering. There, there used to be much more of a stigma against self-publishing. And that still exists to some extent. And to some, some people, it will just be more impressive that you have a traditionally published book, which is um, sad. And I don't think that should exist but it just kind of is the case still. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so then the cons, sorry, that yeah, was just close. <laughs> there are downsides too. <laughs> um, okay, so the cons, I would say, you know, biggest con is financial because um, you're not going to make a whole lot of money from traditional publishing. You're just not, even if you get a nice advance, it's not enough to live on. You know, don't quit your day job when you get a traditional publishing deal. It's just, it's not going to work like that. Um, most authors who like make a living being an author, they don't actually achieve that status until like book five or six at least. Um, so it takes a long time to really build up the royalties and kind of the, the networking that you need. Anyways, my point is don't quit your day job for traditional book deal. Um, I think the other thing is that you don't have complete creative control. So with self-publishing and hybrid publishing, you get to make all the decisions. You get exactly the cover you want. You get, you know, the quality of a book that you want. You get everything gets to be customized to your specifications, which could be a bad thing if you're not really in touch with your market and don't know what they like. (laughs) And there are some authors who choose terrible covers and stuff and traditional publishers are there to stop that from happening. But the, the downside for authors is that the traditional publisher might actually choose something that you don't like. And that's part of the risk and something you have to give up. So that's something, you know, Liz and I, and I know we we can talk more about our book later, but um, we are already starting to see like the, publisher wants a different subtitle than what we want. And we're going to lose that battle. And I know we are, (laughs) but you know, that's kind of one of those things we said going into it. Okay. Are these the hills we want to die on? Or, you know, are we willing to give up that creative control? And for us, we said, you know what, at the end of the day, we're willing to give up that creative control for the other benefits that we 
are getting from this book deal. So those are, those are some of the cons. Those are the biggest cons, I think. Well, and that, that leads right into my next question, which is who is a traditional publishing a good option for? And like, as you're talking about this, like, I think it seems like you would need to be able to kind of submit your baby to the, the, the powers that be in the publishing house. There needs to be a certain amount of I don't know if humility is exactly the right word, maybe, but to realize that they know more than you do about some things. Um, sometimes yes. we get super, super attached to the way we think that it should be and this book must be this way. And if mm-hmm. we can't let go of that or at least loosen our grasp a little bit, I don't know, who who is traditional publishing good for and who would it not be? Yeah, well, that's that's a great point. So let's start with mindset. Traditional publishing is a great fit for people who can, like you said, kind of hold a little bit of distance from their work. Some people who can say, you know, this work is important to me, but it's not me, right? So I think a lot of authors attach so much of their own personal worth to a book deal and get so discouraged with rejections and get so discouraged when they see a publisher not treating it you know, the way you would treat it yourself. And the reality is there, no one's going to care about your book the same way you do. And so if you are not able to say, you know, I'm willing to give my product to someone else and see someone else handle it in maybe a way that I would not, you know, then it's maybe not a good fit for you (laughs) because no one's going to care about it the same way you do. Right. Um, I think the other mindset that you have to have is that this is a partnership. And so, like you said, you have to be willing to accept their expertise and accept that they, they know things that you do not. They just always will. There's always going to be things going on behind the scenes that you are not privy to. And so you're going to have to just trust them to some extent. And some authors have a hard time doing that and that's okay. But again, if that's, if that's you, then don't, don't seek to birth this thing into the world as a partnership. Just do it yourself. You know, um, that's mindset stuff. As far as like profile of the author, the other thing that I would say is traditional publishing is going to be best for you. If your career could really benefit from that credibility. So for speakers, for, um, people who want to be elevated onto kind of a national level in some ways, then traditional publishing is going to be great because it's going to give you the most options and the most accessibility for something like that to happen. Doesn't mean it will happen, but it means that you now have kind of the option of that happening potentially. Um, But for people who are really like local, you know, they're really just invested in like their local neighborhood or whatever. um, You don't need that kind of national level of exposure, you know? So I would say like, if you're, if you're like a coach who really just kind of focuses on like your people and you really have no desire to like grow in a really big way, then there's no point, like serve your people and you can probably best serve your people by just self-publishing or hybrid publishing something and getting it to them faster. Cause that's another thing I forgot to mention was just timeline. Timeline of traditional publishing is going to take much longer. Um, usually 18 to 24 months. Um, and so 
you can probably serve people. If you're just trying to serve a small number of people, you can probably serve them better just doing it yourself. Um, but if you're trying to really reach a large number of people, you might do that better with traditional publishing. So I know that one of the big sticking points for um, so many writers, when they look at traditional publishing and trying to like jump through all the hoops is this platform thing. And so many writers get frustrated because they've had, I've had people tell me, oh, this is a great idea. I had an agent tell me this is a great idea, but your platform's not big enough. And what, like, can you talk about that? What, what is that a myth? Is that what is a large enough platform? What does that look like? <clears throat> Happily. Okay. So it is a myth. And I was giving a workshop a couple weeks ago and one of the, I was explaining all of this about platform to them. And one of the attendees to the workshop said it this way, and it was so good. So I'll just tell you what she said. She said, oh, okay. So with traditional publishing, you have to climb the mountain of platform first and then sell your book. With self-publishing and even hybrid publishing, you can create your book, but then you still have to climb that mountain in order to get the book out there. She's like, so what you're saying is you have to still do all of that platform building and work to get your book out there no matter what. It's just kind of a difference of when do you have to do that work? And I was like, exactly. <laughs> so hopefully that helps there, but I'll, I'll go into more detail just about platform. You know, there are so many people who say like, you have to have a certain number of followers. I saw one book coach recently who said, you have to have at least a hundred thousand followers to have any shot at a traditional book deal with a big five publisher. And that is absolutely not true because if you look at the New York Times bestsellers at any point <laughs> and you look at their social media numbers, you will find at least a few that have little to no platform at, as far as social media goes. You will find just recently, I looked at the New York Times bestsellers list and there were like four or five authors who had under 5,000 followers on social media. So I highly recommend go right now, like pause this podcast episode, go right now, look up the New York Times bestseller list and Google all of their numbers, like look at their social media, because you will be surprised to find that people who are, at, you know, on the New York Times bestseller list, which is, you know, the, the pinnacle of publishing success, right? And yet some of those people do not have millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers, like some people say that they need to. So let's unpack that more. Publishing or platform requires exposure to an audience, yes, but it does not have to be social media. So it could be your newsletter. It could be that you have bylines in national publications like the New Yorker or the New York Times or the LA Times or whatever. You know, if you are meeting readers in other places besides social media, you may still have a big enough, you know, big enough in quotes platform to get a traditional book deal. As long as your work is getting in front of people's faces, however that may be, you may still be totally fine getting a traditional publish publishing deal. I had an author one time who had like, he literally did not have a single social media 
platform. Like he did not own an account on any social media platform. And he sold thousands of books every single year because he was a consultant. And so he traveled around the country. He traveled like 200 days a year, which is insane. And he got his book into people's hands personally. And that was how he sold his books. And he did a great job. And you know what? We were so happy to sign him for book after book after book after book because we knew they were going to sell, even though he had zero social media. So you do have to have some way of reaching people. It does not have to be social media. That's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is that platform expectations differ by publisher and by genre. So if you are writing prescriptive nonfiction, meaning if you are trying to teach someone something, like I'm trying to teach writers how to write and publish books, my the standards that I am held to in, as far as platform go are going to be higher because the publisher does want to see that I have credibility in this. They want to see like, are you actually doing the things you say you're doing? I'm going to have a higher burden of proof to show that I'm doing those things. And that makes sense because publishers want to work with people who are legit. Um, if you're writing memoir though, or fiction, then you're not going to have that burden of proof because fiction and memoir don't require those things. You don't have to be an expert in something in order to have an amazing life story that you want to get out into the world. You don't have to have expertise in something in order to create this beautiful world in your head that you want to share with readers. So depending on the genre, the platform expectations might be less. Um, and then bigger, like big five traditional publishers are always going to require bigger platforms as well. But a lot of smaller independent traditional publishers are not going to have those big um, platform expectations. So uh, my co-author Liz and I, we're working with a small independent academic um, press for our book. So the platform expectations were not as high um, for us. So that's another thing is I think a lot of people, when they think traditional publishing, they think big five, which is Penguin Random House, Macmillan, Hachette, uh, Simon and & Schuster, and one that I am forgetting. But um, there are hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of other traditional publishers that are much smaller. And that may be a great fit. And that may be more fun to work with anyway. And so I always encourage people like, look at the indies first, like, <laughs> go look at the independent publishers, because those people, especially, like, they're not making a bunch of money, like they're here because they truly love books. Um, and they're going to do a great job taking care of you and taking care of your book. And they can also, you know, have some real amazing bestsellers. So that was a very long answer to your question, but I hope that helps with platform. <laughs> well, it's a big topic and I think it's hanging yeah. people up so much. And so what I'm hearing, first of all, is that social media does not equal platform. Correct. And I think one of the things that I've been just been part of some, you know, smaller conversations about the whole social media and looking at my own social media. And it's like, it seems like recently, maybe it's a since COVID thing. I don't know. Social media isn't, hasn't been maybe as helpful for writers recently as it maybe was in the past. I don't know if you have found that to be true. Cause even if you have a hundred thousand followers, if <clears throat> the, you know, the algorithm, the almighty algorithm isn't showing those followers your posts or they're not interacting with them and showing, because I'm, I'm sure a publisher wants more than just, yes, I have these people who have clicked this button and follow me. 
mm-hmm. but they don't engage with anything that I say, right? Because it's a it's it's part of that investment thing, you know. It's a business investment on the part of the publisher to say, okay, I'm we're investing all this money in your book. Can you sell it? Do you have people who are already interested in what you have to say? Can you show us that? Whether it's through social media or through speaking engagements or an email list or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so when I was a new acquisitions editor, we did this experiment where we uh, signed on a whole bunch of people who had literally millions of followers on Twitter. So we went out and we sought out um, these social media influencers. This was back in like 2014, 2015. They had millions of followers on on Twitter. And we were like, this is going to be great. We're going to sell so many books. And we signed them on to create this series of short books. It was a total flop. I think the book that sold the most sold like a thousand copies, which is horrendous, <laughs> just terrible. It was a terrible, terrible thing, but it showed us. And the reason is because exactly what you said, like it does not take a lot of investment from a follower to click follow on social media. Maybe they also bought their followers. I don't really know. But anyways, their point is social media followers did not translate into book sales by any means. And it was a good lesson for me to learn early in my career. And ever since then, I've just had this serious skepticism about social media. And I, I'm glad that I do because as we've seen, like Twitter doesn't even exist anymore. Now it's X. And now, you know, people can get booted off of social media at the whim of the, you know, of the owners of that social media platform. You can lose all of your social media platforms at literally the click of a button Someone could do it by mistake. (laughs) Like there's just no, there is no guarantees. There's no safety in that, in that strategy. And so I think social media, putting a lot of investment and time into social media is incredibly risky. Like it's actually a massive risk for authors. And so I don't recommend it. I recommend sticking to like the more traditional ways of getting the word out there, get bylines in national publications, like writing an article for the New York Times, you're going to get way more exposure and it's going to do way more for you long-term than a thousand people on Twitter or Instagram, you know, speaking in front of audiences, that's going to do way more for you long-term because people are going to remember your face and they're going to remember your name and they're going to remember your message. Um, yeah, speaking and Articles are like the number one and two ways that I recommend trying to build your platform. And then having a newsletter is going to be number three. Because that email list, that newsletter, you own that. You have no control over any of that social media stuff. And and social media might be a way to get people onto that email list. Sure. If it works. Yep. Um, sometimes yep. it does, sometimes it doesn't. But, oh, interesting. Yeah. So. Um, When we first dive into the world of publishing, of writing, we assume that if we want to write a book, we just write the book and we hand it to the publisher and they say, that's great. We're going to publish your book. That is not how it works. (laughs) So can you kind of outline the process of, okay, I want to get published by a traditional publisher. I'm, I'm working on climbing the mountain of platform first. What's the process? Okay. So you are going to start, you know, number one, t- 
test your message, like figure out what your argument is, figure out what you have to say that is going to be different from everyone else. Start there. Don't do anything else until you know that you've got something really, truly different and worthwhile to say. And I'm not saying, you know, like any, any idea is going to have a good place to start. Um, but usually authors need to do some refining work and usually it takes some time to do that refining work. So speaking, publishing articles, those are good ways to do that refining work because you're going to get feedback and you're going to have people pushing back against your ideas and you're going to have to make changes and you're going to have to work on your messaging and, you know, workshop it more. And so do that, spend time doing that. Um, on my podcast, we recently talked to um, Krista Hardin, who does the Enneagram and Marriage. And she talked about how, even though she, you know, she's just putting out her first traditionally published book, she's been doing this and working on this idea for literally the last like 20 years. And she's been writing other books about it. She's been putting out a newsletter for many years. She's been doing a podcast. Like she's had a long, long time to refine the things that she wants to say. And so when she finally comes to this book, she has incredible resources already ready to go that she knows have been tested. She's got stories to tell from clients. She's just got all the pieces that you need to make it a really strong product. So that's kind of the first thing is like, do all of the thinking work to refine your ideas and have content that is going to be super, super valuable. The next thing is you're going to have to have a book proposal. And so you're going to write a book proposal, which is a pretty big document in and of itself. It's essentially a business plan for your book. It's how you plan to make your book successful. Um, we could have a whole other podcast conversation about what goes into that. So I won't go into that, but you're going to need one. Um, you'll need to find a literary agent, which is going to be a person who kind of pitches you to traditional publishers. They're your advocate. They are um, your liaison with the publisher. That agent is going to be a really important person to have on your team. Um, I highly recommend that you have an agent. They are so valuable. They are they have the hardest job in the industry and they do really good work. So I definitely recommend having an agent. Um, you'll have to write a query letter to get that agent. Yeah. And that's, those are kind of the basic things that you need. And then the other thing is you're going to need so much resilience because to pitch your book to, you know, 50 or a hundred agents, and then to have them pitch it to publishers, you know, it's going to be like 25 to 50 publishers potentially, going through multiple rounds, you're going to get lots of rejections. Um, our book was rejected over 20 times before we finally got a yes. So it's just, it takes a lot of resilience to be able to look at those rejections and, and be like, all right, cool, let's keep going. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what you need. Resilience. It's a good word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, thanks for laying that out for us. So you are also a ghostwriter. Can you mm -hmm. tell that? Like what, what is ghostwriting? How did you get started with it? What do you enjoy about it? Yeah. So, okay. Ghostwriting is essentially where I write a book and then someone else puts their name on it. <laughs> That's an oversimplified, um, oversimplified explanation, but essentially I interview the author and I take all of their ideas. I help them craft the message. I help them come up with all the content and then I use my skills as a writer to create a book for them 
a lot of that, a lot of the authors that I work with, they're experts in other things. I'm working with a judge. I'm working with a cardiologist. Like they don't know how to write a book because they're busy saving lives literally. And so I don't want to expect them and no one, you know, no one wants to have them take a break from their job, go learn how to write a book and then go do it. Right. Like it would be so much easier if they can just work with someone who actually knows how to write books and then they can keep doing the life-saving incredible work they're doing. And I can help them just write a book to uh, maximize their exposure through, through that method or through that medium. So ghostwriting is, is essentially that I bring my skills as a writer, they bring their skills and their expertise in some other area. And we come together to create a book. I got into it a little bit by accident. <laughs> I was an acquisitions editor at a publishing house um, for a long time. And when I left that publishing house to be independent, um, I started to be asked if I would ghostwrite book proposals for people, which makes total sense. And I was happy to do that. I love book proposals. Um, and so I started doing that. And then after about a year of doing that, people were like, well, you already wrote my book proposal. Could you just keep going? Yeah. Basically like you already know this book better than I do at this point. You understand how to actually put it together. Can you just keep going and just write the whole book? And to be honest, I wasn't sure. Like at first I, I actually said no to several um, to several opportunities at first, because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel writing a book for someone else. And someone else's name goes on it. And like, eh, I don't know if I want that. So I said no at first, but then I was like, well, the money is really good and I do need to make money. <laughs> and, and I wanted to practice my writing chops. Like I, I also wanted to just like be kind of a task writer and just improve my craft and so I said, all right, I'll, I'll try it. And I tried it out with an author who I really trust and knew very well. And I know his content very well. We had done several projects before together. And so I was like, all right, for you, I'll do it. I ended up loving it. And so here I am another year, over a year later, and I've ghostwritten six books now. And, um, and I've written my own book with a co-writer. So like, I've gotten a lot of writing experience under my belt just in the last year, which has been, I think, so good for me in so many ways. And if you are at all interested in ghostwriting, I highly recommend trying it out, even just temporarily, because you will grow as a writer in ways that you never even thought you, you would. You will learn things about yourself. You will learn your writing, you know, strengths and weaknesses in a way that you've just never had to before. And it's an incredible experience for anyone who wants to be a professional writer. Yeah, man, like putting yourself in the head of a cardiologist one day and a judge the next, like, yeah, that, that would develop some crazy writing chops. Yeah, that it sounds fascinating. It sounds fascinating. It is. It's good for people who love to learn. You have to be a very open-minded learner. You have to kind of go into it saying like, I'm here to represent the reader. And I, you know, you have to be genuinely curious. Like the interviewing part is easy for me because I'm like, I have so many questions about what you do. And so you have to have a very curious mind and you have to want to learn about what they do. And people love sharing. That's the other thing is like authors love talking about what they do. Like they're so generous in that way. And that's also very cool to see. 
So now you've mentioned a couple of times that you have a book and you have a podcast already yes. and a book coming out by the same name, right? Or yes. is it not, have they not decided <laughs> on that? The, the main title of the book will stay the same, Hungry Authors. Um, that is also the name of our podcast. Um, so I am writing that with uh, my co-author and business partner, Liz Morrow. Um, we essentially help nonfiction writers to plan, write, and pitch and publish um, a nonfiction book of you know, either memoir or narrative nonfiction or prescriptive nonfiction. Excellent. So if any listeners have questions about all that, go listen to her podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you also work as a book coach. What if when people use your services, what where are they in the process? What do you help them with? Yeah. So with book coaching, usually it's kind of tied into the other things I do. So like usually there is going to be some coaching involved in a book proposal. There's going to be some coaching involved in editing your book. There's going to be some coaching involved in even ghostwriting to help get you kind of on the right path and help you create a plan and really help you think through like the strategy. All of the things we talked about with traditional publishing, those are big decisions. And it's not easy to know right off the bat which one is best for you. So a lot of the coaching that I do is kind of helping authors make the right decision and understand their goals and really say like, okay, this is going to be the best place for me to start for these reasons. And, you know, here's why. Um, And then the other big part of the coaching process is planning. Um, And really planning is just thinking through all of the decisions you'll need to make for your book in advance um, as far as content goes. So in book planning and kind of the the coaching process through that, we're talking about who's your reader, what is the transformation that you are trying to promise for them if you're writing prescriptive nonfiction, if you're writing memoir, then it's what's the transformation you have experienced in your life that you want to convey in this memoir, and then how are you going to actually put that into writing in a 50 to 75,000 word document, which is a big document. Like that's a big piece of work to do. You have to have a strategy for it. Like you cannot just sit down and spill out words on the page. I mean, some people can, and that's crazy to me, but like you, most people need a little bit of strategy about like, but how am I going to actually do that? How am I going to make decisions? How am I going to mine through my own content and my own life and my own, you know, other resources that I've created to actually create something that is going to have an intuitive pathway for an author to follow. So those are big decisions. And that's essentially what I provide in the coaching process. But usually that coaching is kind of tied to a bigger goal of a book proposal or something like that. Gotcha. So if they're ready to write the book proposal... Then you help them through that process and all of the other decisions and all the things. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and for answering yeah. all the questions and all the things. And so where can people find you? I will link everything in the show notes, but um, so your podcast is Hungry Authors. Yes. And what's, your, what's your website? It's the website is arielcurry.com. And you can honestly, the best way to keep in touch with me is through my newsletter. That is where I put most of my time and energy every week is into my newsletter. Um, it's called notes from the editor. You can find it on my website, arielcurry.com. Um, the other thing that I'll, I'll send you is I have a webinar on 
kind of how to make that publishing decision of like traditional publishing versus self versus hybrid that goes into even more detail than we talked about here. (laughs) So if they want, and that's a free resource, so I can send you um, the link to that webinar. It's totally free and people can watch that. And that'll kind of give you a good sense of how to make that decision for yourself. Absolutely. That would be great. That would be great. I'll link that in the show notes so people can get that. That'd be awesome. Thanks. All right. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. I appreciate it. And um, I'm sure this will be really helpful for, for listeners. So good luck with your book and all of it you're working on. Thanks, Amy. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Substack to take advantage of additional resources. Comment on the chat questions and see what others are saying as well. There are also journaling prompts you can download to further process the things we talk about in each week's episode. You can further support the podcast by liking it, commenting on it, and of course, sharing it with others.